been a long time coming having you on here for a conversation. Yeah. We live together. We're in love. And you're my number one fan. You're the number one fan of this podcast. So you're a very special guest today. Thank you. Nice intro. Maybe we could start with... What it is that you do. What it is that we do together as a team. Hmm. 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 All right. <laughs> oh. Um, how I earn a living is through voiceovers. Mm -hmm. So speaking is my job. It's my work, my vocation. I love it. And I've been doing it for a really, really long time. Started as a child. And yeah, here I am doing it in Berlin. And it's great. I love speaking for a living. So you've been a voice actress since you were a child in New York. And your mom was also a voice talent of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, and you've been in Berlin for six years. Right? Yeah, it's, it's coming up on six years. And in that time you have become perhaps the biggest voiceover talent in Berlin or Germany. I would say there was a point in time where it was, yeah, the work was just flowing. I don't know comparatively with other, you know, voiceover artists, but I would say that I came here when the field was really starting to expand and just got in at a time when looking for English speaking artists was in demand. And given my history and my experience, you know, previously, I was able to just really get locked in. And then it was just like, just took off, which was such an incredible feeling after having done it for so long before and never really getting it off the ground. I had like 10 years before coming here of solid experience in New York, but in the short time of being in Berlin, like it just maximized completely. Exploded. It exploded, yeah. It exploded and you work for many of the biggest brands that people have heard of. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily the most interesting aspect of what you do. Since you've talked about it and we've sort of explored it more deeply, I've come to understand that there is a lot of depth to this sort of shape-shifting performative art that mm -hmm. you are very skilled at. So what, what are the kind of qualities of that experience going into the booth yeah. with, a, with a company, with a client, and just firing away? 
It's very exciting. I love the energy. It kind of feels like it's my sport. Like I really feel like I'm on the field and there's, there's a certain level of energy that I'm maintaining and I love taking direction. I love having spoken direction with like adjectives and, and words that I'm supposed to sort of like I just like take it all in what a director or a client is telling me they're looking for and then immediately just embodying that language of what I'm hearing and then executing it through voice. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of what's going on in my body, the way that I'm standing, my hand movements. So it feels like a really embodied practice for me and it's, it's very edgy and it gets me very like jacked. And then like afterwards I realize like there's this huge sort of energy mm. shift where I end up just like realizing it was actually like a, you know, a sport of some kind. I feel my energy dipping mm -hmm. after I come out of the session. Even if it's like a 30 minute session, you still go all in and you're still getting like instruction from multiple different people. Like sometimes there's, five clients calling in that all have an idea of what it is that they're looking for. Um, but that's exciting. I love it. And, mm. I, and I love I love it when they're happy, honestly. It, it makes me feel really good. Get some very sort of fast curveballs coming mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah. Be sad. Be inspiring. Be like what kind of um like shift of tone and like embodiment that you have to do yeah well i think the technicalities aren't something that i get really caught up on because if i realize first off i can read a script and sort of just understand the tonality of what is being asked um and a lot of scripts actually kind of mimic one another so many of the spots that i do kind of sound the same in a sense like there there is a mimetic feature to advertising that I'm very keenly aware of because I'm reading I'm reading the scripts that are being advertised and like what the brands want to focus on and a lot of that is in the realm of being inspired and uh, you know pushing to the next level and so, so I, I sort of have like an understanding what it is that I'm reading, just given the language of the words and the flow and the spacing and everything, like you would read a book or read a text or whatever you can sort of understand. But then of course you have the idea from the actual client or the director. And when mm. they're giving me a note, I can just feel into it. I don't technically have to think of what it is. I just know how to like deliver very, very slight variation that has been practiced over time. Mm -hmm. um, very helpful. For instance, like one of the things you do is if they want a certain line to land a certain way um, with a certain emphasis, it's like, okay, I'll do three in a row. So you give them three in a row and then you just sort of carry the tune differently. Slight variations between the three takes mm -hmm. and this is something that is fully, I'm not thinking about it. I'm, 
totally feeling my way mm-hmm. into these slight it feels kind of like intuitive yeah it's intuitive it's like ice skating with tonality and language mm. so that's not the only thing that you do with your voice though is it Mm-mm. about 10 years ago you released your first debut album Everything Nothing mm-hmm. under the name H which fits with your name Hannah yeah so tell me a little bit about H so H <coughs> was my artist name that I went by spelled E-I-T-C-H and tell you about H so I am H or I was H H was a project and music project so alternative electronic pop I called it Ultrana pop and yeah I, I composed original tracks under that name and performed them and did that for yeah about 10 years performing under that name and releasing music as H until this year Mm -hmm. after 10 years of age about several albums um, many many concerts you wrote on your Instagram H is dead yeah and now stepping into something quite different artistically and certainly since you and I have met and begun talking and having a relationship as of about a year ago you've been in this big sort of transition artistically spiritually in your whole life orientation I guess whether um much of the outside world is yet aware of that and how much of that shows up in the sort of digital channels. What do you feel is, what do you feel was the internal state and transformation that drove this shift from who you were a couple of years ago H to who you are now mm-hmm. as Marv Prudence and I guess in asking that kind of trying to see like what's the relationship between your own journey of change over the last year year and a half and this new sort of artistic rebirth Mm -hmm. yeah the the art that I make is 
you can't separate it. And, or I... From yourself. From myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that was actually what this transition has been teaching me, is that H was somehow... Uh, the way I approached it was an oscillation between am I H or is like H something that is like a, a thing that I perform? Is it a space I go into that I channel and then I return back to some sort of other life? Mm. Um, I think there was a lot of fragmentation which is a word that I think people that watch this, watch Sunspace, would be familiar with, but maybe not so much people that know me. But I, I feel H is dead gives me so much relief, like even just hearing that, because I have, there's been so much packed under the umbrella of that name, so much of my process of individuation and integration as a human being, a lot of shadow, stuff that I have, you know, pretty much when I started that project, it was my first stepping into my muse and channeling music and learning learning about my artistry through that lens, which was a bit psychedelic and groovy and experiences that I took from, you know, altered states that I would then sort of like feed into my music. Mm -hmm. But as a person, I was still like a child in many ways and immature in many ways. And so there was a, there were deep unmet needs and desires that I thought I could achieve through H. That I would have times where I would get very close and felt like I was tasting the sort of sweetness of a certain type of notoriety or success but it never ended up being the thing that I could hold on to. I, I never made it. Mm. But there were, there were moments that really changed me as a human being where I really started to redefine what success even is. And it led me towards a process of questioning. What is success? Mm. What, what is it that I'm doing when I'm performing on stage and and channeling spirit through my body and my voice. It felt like there was something that was so, that I, I couldn't recon reconcile um, what it was that I felt was happening to me as I was performing or writing, the way it was transforming me and what was expected of me or what mm. I, the pressure I put on myself. So I couldn't actually reconcile. Um, I had a lot of sort of chances, you could say, 
to make it or whatever. But I felt that the situations that I was placing myself in were complicated and complex mm. and a sign of deep unresolved uh, shadow components of myself that would put me in very complicated situations with complicated people. And I was very naive and very immature in many, many ways. So, um, I guess what I'm, it, it's, it's a little bit hard to explain, but it's sort of like I, I'm cl closing that chapter because it can, that name H contains a lot of painful process for me and I, and I bless it and I'm like, thank you for the experience. That was great, but I don't want to perform that under that name and I don't want to, I need to move on and, and have like a fresh clean slate, even if it's a psychic clean slate, right? It's like the music is still available online if people want to hear it, but um, no, I, I needed to sort of um, let go. Mm -hmm. Mm. and let let myself lean in to a different process altogether and have no idea what it meant or what it's going to look like or anything like that and just really dip into the unknown mm. and say fuck all to all expectations and pressures that I, I put on myself for a long time So in that, in that journey, then starting out writing an entire album, sort of with no musical background at that point, composing the whole thing, just like at your mom's house or something. Um, and how old were you when you composed that? I think I started when I was 18 probably mm -hmm. and then released it when I was 21 or something like that mm. and then in that journey kind of not just your own shadow but realizing the degree of sort of shadow that exists in um, the industries and the people and the culture that surrounds young artists um, in particular mm -hmm. and going through that you saw a lot of shit and saw a lot of um, sort of predatory personality behavior and all kind of stuff but it, it feels like there's almost a way in which like an icon gets created and like H was almost like made into an icon but the icon wasn't in sort of relation with your own birth, death, change process. Like it was kind of your thing, but then there's all these other um, elements. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine there's a lot of musicians and artists who grapple with like being defined 
you know, at an early stage. And then it's like, well, if you deviate from that, there could be a lot of people that um, are unhappy, either because it's bad for the people who are making money or it's, um, you know, seen to be going in a distasteful direction or a direction which um, is not aligned with your true talent. Mm -hmm. from the perspective of other people um, and actually this is probably something that can be resonated with sort of anyone who strikes out their own path um, creatively and goes from a place and speaking of myself like going from a fairly fixed path where I'd been on this thing for a long time everybody knew that's what I was going to do I'd been telling everyone I was going to do it and then quite in a very, pretty rapid period of time shifting into something quite different that a lot of people don't necessarily understand mm -hmm. or appreciate <clears throat> yeah um and i think perhaps something in common with like this sense space and marv prudence is is the shift into integration at a deeper level in which very often in um, at least in intellectual worlds what's going on with individual people's personalities psychologies trauma whether someone has a, a spirituality or not or what that is none of these things are included and so we get this very distorted unhelpful image and dynamic that's being held at this level in these institutional containers um, and to step out of that actually you have to do something very different mm -hmm. which is talk about your own experience but in order to actually be doing that you have to like know who you are mm -hmm you have to have really spent some time reflecting on all those experiences rather than just sort of playing out this role of yourself, you know, that's sort of constructed like an idea of yourself. Um, yeah, no, entirely. I didn't know who I was, but I was having... Um, very transformative experiences that were indicating to me a depth of um, something I was I was really feeling into with uh, music and writing music and performing. There there was a spirituality component big time mm. in what what I was doing and what I was interested in doing which was to be writing from the perspective of my higher self or to be writing as a part of myself that I could like objectively try and, and see myself. My, my lyrics were teaching me something mm. about myself, Yeah, what, about the processes that I was undergoing. What is that kind of... What is that process of channeling into your art that then feeds back onto your life? 
I don't know what the process is, mm-hmm. but it's just what I did. It's just what naturally would come out. So um, a lot of the time, there, I, I knew that I could say I, like a sentence or a lyric with I da 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 da, but that I could be God speaking to me or me speaking as Hannah or like I was feeling as though I was sort of trying to understand my own thoughts trying to understand my own emotions it was it was a process of healing for me and it was almost like therapy therapeutic but I I felt that I could um Nothing was really straightforward in what it was that I was writing, even though it kind of sounded pop and it kind of sounded straightforward and it could be sort of taken, anyone could hear it and sort of make something out of it, which I really liked, that people would be like, oh, that really had an impact on me, or I really liked that. Um, but I realized that I was tapping into something that I didn't quite understand um, energetically. and it, And... For a little bit of time, I was even concerned about performing because I felt like if there was a song or certain lyrics that were really sort of steeped in doubt or steeped in an energy of like disempowerment or disassociation, I would say a lot of the lyrics I was writing were sort of my expressions of what I was experiencing as disassociation. Mm. And... um, deep fragmentation and writing from multiple different mindsets or energetic states. And then when I started to become aware that I was feeling into different energetic states, I became concerned. Like if I'm performing and I'm really feeling into this, like will I be somehow like imbuing the energy of the venue with this energetic state? And like these sort of questions were somehow making me it was at a time in my life where I was really sort of afraid of my thoughts I was afraid of um, com- what it was I was contemplating mm-hmm. realizing that there was somehow an impact in what it in just existing and being a human being that's going to be emanating Hmm. just by being alive. You're emanating so much is going on physiologically, emotionally, just the state you're in that you carry into a room. And I was um, having these first visions and, and... like thinking about these things but they kind of also freaked me out like I felt like I had a huge responsibility on my shoulders where it's like well if I'm not feeling good should I be performing because I don't want to like leak that into and so I, I guess what I'm saying is H was an amazing experience for me in learning how to contemplate deep um just in a deep way that I had never done before because I was still very child-minded before that. Um, But I also look back at that time and kind of 
see a very lost person who is also very split in many ways. And so just sort of letting that go has felt like a huge relief. Like even talking about this right now, like presencing, I just feel like it just comes all back. There's just this like clenching sort of unease. And I mm. feel like mm-hmm. that to me represents that time, even though there was a lot of beauty and I met a lot of cool people. It's not to say it was a bad thing, but energetically there's something about it where it's just like, no, I need to put it, it needs to be, you know, somehow contended with that it was a time in my life where I had basically zero boundaries. And, and a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. A lot of depression, no boundaries, but a really big heart and a lot of vision for what was possible and what I could do. And getting that um, feedback from others that they also felt that it was, I was doing something that could really go far or do something that could really be big and trying to grapple what what that would mean and where that would take me and who I would have to be in order to make that happen. I've res- deeply resisted that on a cellular level because I almost feel like part of the self-sabotaging behavior that I saw myself sort of doing or what others would say was self-sabotaging was probably to protect me from what what would be asked of me when I was still very naive and had no boundaries and not an integrated mm. person. Mm. I just I just think like probably it was probably really for good reason that there was a part of me that was resisting the where other people wanted me to go, I think. I just wasn't ready. There's a... something quite important in articulating the possibility of coming out of deep depression, fragmentation, and insoluble sort of challenges, tensions within the self that you've lived with for a long time, to have actually gone through the tunnel and come out the other side, and then to speak about it, we have talked about this before and very recently um, there's a real value in sort of bringing that message um, of possibility and the music part of the aspects of the music industry I think um, 
can be extrapolated outward to a lot of people's experiences of um, an extractive world that's not actually interested in your becoming whole. It's interested in keeping you in a kind of rat race towards objectives which aren't necessarily your own deepest, truest objectives. Um, because to know what those things are, you would have to really know who you are. Mm -hmm. And we're rarely afforded the opportunity to do that. And often, you know, the, the context for addressing issues are like, how do I fix myself? Um, going to therapy, etc. Whereas I think what you articulate and what um, I've been trying to articulate as well in sense space, like rather than sort of the slogan of be yourself, something like be becoming yourself, which mm -hmm. is a subtle little shift. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have beef with the be yourself thing that mm -hmm. came around because obviously if you just say be yourself and someone's got loads of toxic fragmented personality traits then that's actually an invitation to stay where you are whereas be becoming it's like wow what am I becoming what am I becoming towards where are my patterns leading me what mm -hmm. is it to have a pattern what is a self Perhaps the self is not me, the person that people told me who I was, uh, that my schoolmates made me to be, that my upbringing made me to be. But dynamic, you know, like a world, a multiplicity of whirlpools of processes of who you are, all interacting with one another. And that we can actually begin to know what these are and inquire into them. And when we really get to know them and pay attention to them, we can shift into something else. But a lot of, a lot of getting into that initial process, um, you know, let's, let's say there's a sort of pre-transformation landscape and then there's a transformation and a post transformation landscape. Mm -hmm. People looking at you going from the pre-transformation into the transformation, that might actually look like a decline, right? So maybe you wanna speak a little bit to whatever's sort of resonating in these in these words. Yeah. A lot. I remember contemplating the be yourself thing during a time where I was really at a low. I remember thinking like kind of what you just, you know, did. It's like just even asking that question or just saying be yourself, it, it makes you ask questions. Well, what is, 
What does that mean? Who am I? What is, what is it to be myself when I'm in this state of mind? And then also when I come out of a state and I'm sort of feeling like things are possible again, and there's lightness, you know, it's like, is there a higher state? Is there a higher self, capital S? Um, that is something that I feel resonates for me to have an anchor in a higher self that I feel is just vibrationally truer for me where I can hold steady and through time, I've realized that I can always return to that place. Um, and also, like, be yourself was something that I was like, well, what... I'm, I'm observing myself in many different contexts with many different people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's variation. And does that mean, again, coming from the mindset of a person who is constantly afraid that they are, you know, I think my thing was I, I just felt like didn't want to be bad or do anything bad. And so it's like, am I manipulative if I'm showing up in different contexts with adjustments? It's like, well, no. Now I realize like actually I was adaptive, I was adapting to different contexts. And I realized that I could show up very strongly in many different contexts with different people and there, there, there was consistency, but I think, I think what I'm realizing over time is that I can fit into a lot of different places. And that for a while gave me a bit of a, like a challenge. Like, is this, does this mean that I don't know who I am? Am I like trying to like, what is my consistency here? I mean, I, I could like go into business meetings and be full on business. I could hang out with artists and they would only know me as H as an artist. And then I would go, you know, just, I had different skill sets and, and I could adapt my language and in a way where I could understand where a person was, where they wouldn't even know me or know aspects of me that were anything different than the way I was corresponding with them, um, which is cool. That just means I was able to have a lot of different kinds of friends and learn from a lot of different people, which has been amazing. But a part of me sort of realized, like, I, I kind of, like, I don't think many people know me, and I don't really think that I really know how to integrate and pull this all together and to say I'm a complex human being and I like to change speech and I like to change tone of voice and I like to change my outfits I like to shift and shape shift and I, I want to show more of that because that's actually what is the most consistent thing about me is that I'm changing like a character and I deeply resonate with animation, characters in animation. I feel like that is my lane. I do that. I do voices all the time. 
I dress up in different outfits all the time and that allow for different personas to come out to play. I like being playful. Um, and that's fun. And that's Moth Prudence now. Moth Prudence is a playground for me to actually be able to be myself, which is to be varied mm. and to show my varied interests in philosophy and spirituality and psychedelics and music and sex and family and relationships and dynamics and just I want to be able to like mm. allow for these things to and money mm. business I want I I, I and here to create more spaciousness mm -hmm. for these aspects to be spoken so that my heart can be set free mm. and I can settle in to who I am and then also just have more of the people in my life actually know me. Because I feel like each person I know just knows the component in the context of which they've met me, and there's so many different ones. Yeah. I feel the sort of electricity of that self-integration, the sort of power of bringing all that you are together into greater coherence rather than having a little fragment here here's me <laughs> as my with my intellectual jousting friends and here's me with my smoking weed and talking about the nature of reality friends and here's me with you know my whatever it's me with my parents, it's me with blah, blah, blah. There's almost something in that, especially for people who are lacking um, boundaries, like to be shifting into each of these different contexts, who I am at work, who I am, you know, this is almost the classic position of the male in our culture until pretty recently was to have these fragmented places like home and work and separation between the two of them and who you are in those contexts. And so people could go their entire lives and then not really be known for who they are because the wife had no idea who he was when he left the home and the people at work only knew him as the guy who's really good at dealing with problems. Um, and I think we both have been increasingly feeling into a kind of more than philosophical, a kind of felt palpable sense that integration of self is the path of becoming and 
that that is obviously a very that's a very challenging that is fraught with interesting and ongoing challenges but it's the only way to go in, <laughs> in some sense and I think that's part of the sense that I've gotten in this project over the past in this sense-based thing over the past year is how much can it be integrated and the more that I lean into that impulse the more I begin to perceive the total lack of integration in the world today and the severe fragmentation um, we've used this word a lot maybe we can sort of I don't know if we've teased it out well enough yet but when we turn on the television which is a very how would I say it's a very deceptive medium we can kind of create realities with television with a newsroom with uh, a TV set and people come into that and we see them again and again and again and we believe that's the person but actually very often it's a persona mm -hmm. and that persona wasn't necessarily shaped by consideration of well who am I what's important to me it's shaped by all these other forces and so often we're being pulled by market forces and what our friends tell us and what's going to get me ahead what's going to get me followers what is acceptable to my parents mm -hmm. if you come from pretty much any cultural background apart from anglo-european this is a very powerful constricting and embedding force on your life what's acceptable to my parents uh, I've had a number of friends from sort of Pakistani, Indian, and other kinds of backgrounds where leading a double life is the absolute cultural norm. Um, nobody is able to share the truth of who they are with their parents, and so they have to shift. Here's who I am with family, here's who I am in my actual life. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm circling back around on this theme because I think what can happen when you're reaching maturation and coming under stress and all of the um, maladaptive patterns and traumas and whatever and you, you reach the point where you need to deal with your shit and at that point in this fragmented world you realize you don't really know who you are and that's terrifying and that actually scares you into staying in the who I am here and who I am here because to let go and come into well who am I what does it actually feel like to be me that's a big unknown and we were sort of speaking about this a few days ago but 
one of the big factors for both of us going through some very intense existential difficulties, toxic relationships, trauma, deep depression, was that we had both had experiences of ourselves in a context which was an intimate one, an intimate relationship with mystery. Just, you know, the utterly confounding experience of, of what both of us experienced with psychedelics and for you, I think more of a spirituality sort of carried through from childhood. For me, my spirituality was, you know, I was much more atheistic, but mystery for me came with the very first LSD experience and that those kinds of experiences that go deeper than all these fragmented, small, temporary contexts go to the sort of depth of who I am when I'm nakedly with the world, with God, if you will, with, with what's, what, what is it when it's just, what is the relationship between me and the cosmos? Mm -hmm. If you are able to have an experience which gets you down there, that can be something that you can hold to when you're journeying through all the shit. Yeah. Yeah, there was a few things that you said that has really stood out to me. Um, I feel like the nature of the process of integration and becoming more of who you are is a process of deep listening mm. and your apparatus for listening your apparatus for noticing is what changes over time the first sort of stage of noticing isn't always one of calm it isn't always a, a, a to, to finally notice your thinking patterns or your behavior or the, the context in which you are living in that you didn't really realize you were living in noticing isn't always a sort of like, ah, oh, I notice, ah, oh, oh, I'm becoming more aware. That awareness in the beginning can actually be quite alarming and scary. <laughs> it's like, oh, sh what am I seeing that I was not seeing before about uh -huh. me, about who I am, about what I do, about what relationship, what my parents do and my friends. And, the noticing can actually be very painful. Mm. And so the apparatus for listening, it's like this quest has been one of deep, deeper listening. But in order to do that, I've had to get to, I've had to refine my apparatus that hears 
and that knows. Psychedelics, I think, were in retrospect the experiential relationship with the cosmos, with God energy, that it's hard for me to know. I think I was sort of predisposed to having relationship with loving energy because of the way I was raised and the language that was used um, was that of God is all loving and truth and that I am a reflection of that. So that's what I was raised with. So taking psychedelics the first time, I experienced that. And this, I, I believe, was... I cannot, I cannot split apart the timeline of when I started taking psychedelics to when I first started noticing who and how I was being in the world. They were completely tied. It was the same, it was the same age. It was the same stage of my individuation process that I was taking psychedelics and asking these questions around like 17. And I was using marijuana before then at around 15. So I think these questions were hand in hand with my development and, and using substance to sort of get in an altered state. I don't think I realized that what I was experiencing wasn't what everyone else was experiencing when they took psychedelics or when they smoked weed. It was just like certain processes were automatic for me. Mm. Smoking mm. weed and making music were hand in hand. Taking psychedelics and music were also hand in hand and, and communicating with what I felt was non-physical realm. Mm. And love, so much love, just really grounded in what could be seen as like the big S self, right? So as I went through stages of depression and anxiety and trauma and all this sort of stuff, I knew that there was something else that I had experienced. This, this would always be the thing I could return to to refine the apparatus for listening and hearing, albeit I feel as though I went pretty far out many times. The anchor would be here, but I could go really far out and not even remember that there was an anchor. Mm. There's a lot of forgetting. <laughs> a lot of forgetting and a lot of remembering. And forgetting is very painful. But the quest is the way I experience it and what we're experiencing, I feel like it's happening it's, it's happening and it's out of our hands that it's happening. It's, it is what it is. The way we respond to the call is, mm. you know, is the communication. Um, to be able to deepen that communication has meant for me um, much more recently being around people in which I can communicate with about my experiences to 
communicate about the communication that I'm experiencing. And you are the person that I have been able to most be unlimited mm. with in the way I can share what's going on and articulate it. It's pretty fresh. The articulation is pretty fresh. I did it through poetry and lyrics to the best of my ability, but actually being able to, in the moment of experiencing an energetic state shift or a psychic sort of expansion of some kind to actually be able to verbalize that with another human being, with you, in the moment is Take it, it's taken us places. It's taken us down some interesting avenues, I would say, that is exactly where I want to be. This is the exploration that most excites me. listening um, something about that and it's obviously something that I've been talking with people about I've been talking with Guy Sangstock about this and talking with you about it like what it means to deeply listen is not just like something that occurs in conversation but something that occurs in relation to world. Um, like we, like the deep listening that you've begun to afford yourself is also what you afford other people and is also what you take into your day-to-day -day experience of the world and your relationship to spirit on some level your relationship to path what path you are on how are you listening for where you should be going next what's the what are the sort of signs and symbols in your world as you're moving through it events happen things arise, things fall away. Part of that sort of sharpening of the ear is a honing in on something that feels salient. Um, for me, I think that salience was very often lined up with like, it sort of something taking me beyond myself and people who I was drawn to like individuals in the world who I felt like there was something unique something sort of underneath language something just beyond what they were expressing which I was drawn to because it was somehow 
somehow they were a symbol of where my becoming next lay, like understanding what it is that they were understanding. Um, and you have throughout your life really um, been somebody who's afforded sort of really helpful listening to others. You have a certain talent for this. It's part of why I fell in love with you and why our conversations took such interesting turns from very early on. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that deep listening and how it relates to everything you're doing in the creative process. Everything we're doing, I should mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's like a leaning into, um, what is present and listening with more of your body, not just listening to the thoughts that are in your mind, but picking up, picking up a the, the thing is, is that I, I appreciate that you said that I afford deep listening. I don't always feel that I am, to be honest. Um, sometimes I get so into what someone is saying that I almost am not quite... It's like what I'm listening to is no longer like the words that they're saying. Sometimes I get lost in a moment with somebody. Um, I do my best to... What is it that is afforded? I guess what's afforded is... Sensing into the experience of the other person. That mm. I feel mm -hmm. I have like a sharp perception of what it is that they are telling me they're experiencing and whether it's through something I've experienced, I feel I understand that experience. And it's it's not the same thing as empathy. I feel, honestly, empathy is sort of elusive to me. Like, I don't even really get, when someone says, like, be empathetic, unless we can really agree on what that is or means like I don't even really know what empathy means sometimes I feel when, when I'm communicating with someone it's like I get the dynamic of what it is that they're talking about um, mm. so when I like respond it's usually sort of like am I hot or am I cold like I don't ask that but I'll throw things out that 
tell me that I'm getting closer and closer and closer to them saying, yes, that is the experience in which I am talking about. Um, I don't know if that's good listening at all, to be honest. Mm. What would be good listening? Good listening is just being present. What is a good listening? To be empathetic? But what is that? To feel what another person is feeling? I don't feel necessarily what another person is feeling, but I can, mm. I can sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through their words what they're describing, the events and the circumstances that are playing out. And I have a, I would say a pretty like keen perception of what it is that they're telling me. And then I feel I can offer suggestion on like helping them see the dynamic that they're in. And that's, I would say, my best ability in terms of listening. Mm -hmm. But actually, I feel like I'm pretty distracted a lot of the time. Hmm. I'm glad that you feel that I'm deep listening to you, but I think there's like the deep listening is also um, coming from I want to understand. I want to understand what someone's telling me. Mm-hmm. I, if I don't get it, it's like I want to learn about it. I'm a very curious person, so I want to learn. Mm. So I'll ask questions. And if I find that they're also interesting, then it's like I want to stay in it. And I want to stay with them and understand. And I think that's what it was for that's what it is for a lot of great friends I have in my life and for you is just like I like sticking around to get to know you deeper and to better understand I mean now I'm realizing how much I'm learning uh, just by watching behavior before I was just sort of behavior is playing out and I'm in the dynamic and I don't always realize I'm in the dynamic and but now being with you and watching you I'm like learning how you listen I'm learning how you are and I'm watching this and it's like wow there's so many different ways to be human and to experience other people and uh, I don't know where I'm going with this but I just feel like I'm not even sure if we listen in the same way. I think it's probably quite different. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't say we do. I think what comes out of what you're saying is this, like a large amount of diversity in how we listen. But like each individual has a deeper version of what their own capacity is like you have a very sharp sort of inquiring like searching for where the truth lies and then sort of mapping that on to all these different patterns and Mm -hmm. these kinds of things it's almost like people's words it's like i can't follow too closely people's words because i would literally like get locked like Mm -hmm. it's not registering to me but Sometimes when people are, are speaking and I'm interacting with them, it's like something they'll say will like ignite like a symbol for me or it will like ignite some 
thing in my mind where I can sort of just like see or visualize an experience and it's like it's like oh painting it's like painting with somebody Mm. when I'm when I'm like inquiring into what someone is telling me I'm trying it's like there ends up becoming like a picture that is painted that then we can both look at and be like yeah that's what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. you know and I don't know what that is, but I think that that's very fun. I like, I like it when that happens. And when you create that painting together, when you have a capacity to find consensus with somebody, like to click with them and get to like where they're at and like understand it. And we have this shared thing, then you can speak into that image mm-hmm. possibility like okay so we get sort of the you know possibly horrendous image that's been being drawn by where the person is mm-hmm. and you reach them and you say yes this is in fact where you are but then from that place of consensus you come in with your pink and red and blue paintbrushes and uh, sort of illuminate all these layers of possibility that are already there. Yeah. And I think what you and me always circle have circled around to is that possibility is always present in people's lives in their landscape if only they can see it, if they can perceive it, if they can listen for it. Little doorways, little experiences, little encounters, bits of information um, are sort of the symbolic doorway to potential writ large. Who knows what that potential is, but I think part of, there's perhaps many different potential doorways that are always open and part of, part of, I guess, having experiences with psychedelics and also recognizing that we are entering an era which is increasingly psychedelic in the sense that there are all these feedbacks playing out in how we perceive reality and the realities are becoming so atomized and distinguished that the consensus empirical uh, scientific base reality that we've been told is there and has you know been the basis of our mental health and everything like that is crumbling and there's all these mycelial sort of different realities so that's a beautiful thing (laughs) to be able to do that and I'm not I'm not sure it's interesting what you say about empathy like obviously anyone who's tracked my journey with this conversational journey sense based thing Empathy was not on my 
landscape of possibility at all for the most part I felt like I could receive what someone's telling me at the level of language proposition and so forth and I would respond to it very rationally um, and that's something to do with openness going through sort of working out one's shit and one's blockages one becomes more open more sensitive um, and then when one's listening to another I feel it's almost that our bodies become sort of acoustic mm -hmm. receptors and so it's not clear very much whether it's like my listening kind of focuses in on you or whether it's more of a like I bring attention to you, but I situate you within space. And this space is my space of, of listening with my body, with my being, um, with mind as not brain in here, but mind in here and out here as well mind being the whole experience and so just me observing my experience mm -hmm. and in that there are things which people say that give different tones to me so maybe it is that I'm feeling my own feelings but mm -hmm. I actually feel when I afford somebody deep listening, it's not, um, I'm not entirely separate from them. Like when somebody's in my field of attention, when I'm having a conversation with them, um, even on Zoom, they constitute my reality somehow. And again, like you, I don't really, track the propositions and the words so closely as I do follow the feeling of where it's going mm -hmm. and the same too with my speech like I follow the feeling of where it wants to go and be spoken um, and this is quite different and radical in relation to what's been before and what we've been taught to do. Um, and I think when we can do that, when we can sort of create that spacious field and listen as if, you know, sort of on a, on a moor or on a plane in nature, not knowing what one is quite listening for, but listening very openly, sort of sharpening to the background, I guess. And when we can sharpen to that background, then things mm -hmm. sort of can be heard that aren't usually heard. And this gets more and more subtle. And so somebody is introducing themselves, talking about their life, so forth, some little thing, some word, some reaction, 
whatever it is, is for me one of those little doorways we described. And that doorway, I begin to speculate what that is because there's all these patterns, right? And part of part of going into the liminal part of psychedelic experience is dissolving the existing patterns going into the more oceanic wishy-washy and then reconstituting the patterns and the more we sort of go in and out of that process the more fluid our pattern recognition mm -hmm. thing becomes i don't want to say software because i'm sick of the technical language but that capacity becomes heightened and that is sort of at the foundation of what I'm practicing here with you right now and I feel it's so interesting because you're not just listening <laughs> you're not just this is not just something that occurs in conversation as we've said before it's about the landscape writ large the landscape of trauma the landscape of possibility etc so to the extent that we can learn and we very often learn through emulation this is how i learned to a large degree as I was drawn to those people. What is that person a symbol of? I don't know, but they're very interesting to me. So I listen more to them and I watch all their videos and I try and speak to them in person. And then something is transferred to me. Now I can do it as well. And in doing that, we can sort of see the patterns of our own lives and see the patterns we're in and living out in our relationships, right? That's what you and me have been through the boot camp and like been workshopping in our life is noticing the patterns of the past in the present to a sufficient degree that something's happening and you're not just reacting to it. Now you are experiencing it and you're understanding where is this coming from and how can I respond differently and how can I create possibility now, create possibility in my relationship with my family, with, with my work, with, you know, all the different things that we're constituted by that are sort of the aversions and the triggers and like, I can't do this thing. Why not? <laughs> what is the pattern that underlies that I can't do this thing? And how would we be more playful in relationship to that and see what happens? I don't have a question mark for you. So you're just going to have to riff on that. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and on top of that, I feel like so much of what we're doing is also creating 
the home space that is the most restorative healing rejuvenation station because everything that you just said so beautifully and eloquent and I can't even imagine trying to say it any differently than what you just did requires the the reason why we are able to sort of be in this boot camp of bringing the background into the foreground and pattern recognition and just really tuning our instrument together is in order to have that happen we need to have a station here that we return to that restores us Mm. Mm -hmm. because all of this recognizing and deep playing and immersion and seeing things that weren't revealed to us before and communicating about it constantly with one another is made possible through the love and dedication to love Mm. that we are that we are um in service of it's it serves us so we are in service of it holding hands at dinner time just taking a moment to give thanks before we eat and the ways in which we hold one another you picking up the guitar or doing your your throat you know channeling and singing and vibration through vocals and or writing and the different things that we do taking walks all of this allows for more insight to flow in Mm. but at the rate it's been flowing in it's been so rapid (laughs) that like (laughs) It's almost like our dedication to love and truth is what's allowing for so much rapid insight. But it's also the thing that we must we must hold dear because it's it's the heart space that that heart body mind connection is a big one for us where we realize like oh like there's all these different components that are that are communicating and we can feel when our heart is not open we usually feel that through a signal in our body or through a certain a certain pattern of thought and then we realize like oh so everything that you just said which is so beautiful and i'm so glad that we got this on recording is uh yeah we have a station here in our home to be able to practice this and learn and to just be witnesses of wherever it's taking us um, and learning how to restore the energy because it can be energetically taxing to 
become more sensitive, like a, to a total sensitivity when you become raw and then you're out in the world and we're, we're, we're with one another, but then we go into a world and we meet other people, other personality, other frameworks. And what we're noticing is that it enters us. And this is something I think we are only now starting to really get a taste for. I think this is happening all the time. People are picking up other people's energies most of the time. They just don't know that that's happening. Mm. So why do people get burnout? Or like, why are situations at work so toxic? Or like, what's all this stuff? There's traumas playing out. There's all these things playing out. Um, but we're so normalized and, and numb to them that it's only when you were like, two people like us that are brought together or interested in things that we're interested in learning about that we actually start to notice the processes themselves and the patterns that we're in. And oh my gosh, I'm doing that thing again. Or I feel that my body, that same spot is being triggered again after having this conversation, whatever it is. We're just like in a constant state of noticing, which might sound a little bit like consumed I think that could sound exhausting like if I was to tell that to you know people that I know people in my family or whatever who are completely outside of these frames of understanding that would sound exhausting it is exhausting sometimes I think we're getting better like we're training for something. The reason why we have all of these outlets is because I feel what it is that we are stretching, what is working itself on us and what we are working with here, we don't always fully understand the process that we're in. Sometimes it can be taxing. That's just the truth. And so, that could also be due in part where we are in this time in the world right now. There's a lot of forces at play. A lot of, a lot of forces at work here in society and, and we're in it we're in a freaking soup of deep contradiction and complexity and um tuning in to the destabilization Can be destabilizing so you know not noticing it which is a lot of 
I would say many people are not aware of what's influencing them or what they're being influenced by, um, you know, there are coping mechanisms at play. Mm -hmm. What happens when we strip away our coping mechanisms? What happens when two people know each other's coping strategies or they want to talk about them and they want to get them out of the way and then we're in this new place of no coping mechanism and now we're just some in this new place dealing with the world right. and all the energy in it and it's like I think that's a little bit of where we are right now you and you and I personally speaking those hard times that occur especially if both partners are in intense process or you know there's sort of forces coming in from all sides at the same time the reason that we do experience that at all is partly coming from the commitment to noticing and the the long process of stripping back the dissociatives we don't just retreat from the situation into addictive or dissociative mechanisms phones television etc alcohol uh, we do the difficulty of feeling it when it's happening but you don't just dwell on it. Mm -hmm. We're not just helplessly depressed. We try and notice that, communicate about it. And as artists, we try and create from it. Yes. If I'm feeling shit, pick up the guitar and make beautiful music about the feeling of feeling shit and then listen to it back. And maybe that actually is something that breaks me out. Mm -hmm. And that it's not about the guitar per se, although music is fundamental to life, those things are practices and channels. And we have an ecology around us of them that's growing, right? And we feel into new ones all the time. And that, I think, is you know, Jordan Peterson's clean up your room maybe is the low resolution and we've moved to cultivating your garden. Mm -hmm. Right? And this, you want to have a rich and diverse ecology which is in communication with one another. When we create stuff, it feeds back on us, right? Circling back to H. You were going through hard times, not noticing it, but these songs you were writing were messages to you from yourself, from your higher self. My discourses and conversations and the insights I have, very often I don't, haven't fully internalized them. So I have a great dialogos. And then a couple of months later, I live out that situation and that's when I finally get sort of come to terms with it. 
Totally, totally. And I'm glad that you pointed out that, no, we're, we don't dwell in this space. But we do have to sink into it. Mm. So there is a balance, right? There's a balance and there's also a boundary of realizing when we are in a state of heightened awareness or heightened sensitivity we still are in relation to one another to make sure that we are loving one another and reminding each other of who we really are we want to be able to carry each other through these modes that can sort of you know enter a lot of different states and no there's not a dwelling in but we do sink in and we are deeply committed to this process and it's beautiful it's a practice we are practicing this this is the practice how do we sink in to what is and when we actually be Become more aware and we don't we don't go to a place of numbing or turning off or tuning out what happens there's a lot of of noticing there and then and then we get to bring the paintbrush out like you said before and paint different possibilities from a place of grounding in the reality yeah from a place of i am suffering or i am living out of this story or i am i keep doing this and like really like letting that get right down to the bottom (laughs) that's the grounding right but from that place of ground still you take the capacity to communicate and reflect and it doesn't become an enclosing ground it only does when we resist it right it only does when we try to um make it go away and we're not enclosing it to one another that we're in a certain state when we don't enclose and when we uh, sorry, disclose, and we don't disclose it, when we don't present what is present, then it's almost like we ping pong the thing to one another until we both have to realize what's really going on here. Mm. It's. <laughs> and to think there are marriages and lives lived where we never get to what's really going on here and to attempt to speak to what's really going on here is to like is to risk ultimately like it's to risk mm, like there's almost a fork in the road like once you take that step towards honesty and communication that relationship might not be like the other person might not be able to come with you they might not be at the same stage as you mm-hmm. but fuck like you got to face that choice am i going to take the risk to be truthful or 
am I going to stay at the at the level that has been set, you know, when I started this relationship five, six years ago or whatever. Or 40 years ago. Or 40 years ago. <laughs> These are difficult things. And I think with like having faith, having a deeper grounding, having a sense of like somewhere I can turn back to that is deeper than all of these things is what allows you to and guides you mm -hmm. through adhering to that path. Yeah, it's a bit like the matrix. It's like, you know, you can't necessarily unsee it once you see it. Like once you get a glimpse, you can't unglimpse it. It's just a matter of like, do you follow the call of that next step, that next move forward, that next question? Usually it will be something like your emotions will be speaking to you, really letting you know that there's some deep disconnection that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you don't address it, you could end up getting sick. Yes. Either you cut everything out <laughs> and you become, you know, one of the zombies that constitutes our zombie culture, or you get sick, or both. But this is not a mystery anymore. There are books and scientific papers, and we know now that not listening to your emotional information mm -hmm. blocking out important information coming from in the body chronically over years and years is i believe what gives rise to perhaps all or a large body of the illnesses that we suffer autoimmune diseases cancers many of these things when you inquire deeply into the context you will find there was something deeply energetically imbalanced with this person for a long time that they lived out of this fragmentation and the body keeps count but also like the richness of life keeps count and the you can't you can't deeply connect you can't have these fruitful experiences if you don't take those risks and I think a part of like showing up in community and showing up with other people in group contexts where this is part of the intention like we're going to show up as we are what you begin to realize is I can be really depressed and down and just being honest about that with other people creates a thing which is sort of affirming and sustaining and possibly insight giving that's the only way to practice what we're practicing here is mm -hmm. to come as you are mm -hmm. and get better at doing it you got to start from somewhere and it's going to be messy if you haven't you know wherever you're starting from it's probably going to be messy but 
the pathway is to that deeper listening and seeing those patterns and growing through this process, listening for the person that your partner is becoming, listening for who your parent or your family member or like whoever it is, people close to you that have been a certain way for a long time to listen to all those pieces. And of course, to listen to those, you have to have gotten in and out your own trauma that's blocking you from even seeing that. But once you get there, ooh, what's the possibility here? How can I become an agent and a channel of possibility and love? I feel sort of natural closing is entering the room now. And perhaps any kind of closing reflection or thing you want to pull together here. Mm. I don't think I could do any anything that would uh, you've said it all in a really beautiful way. <laughs> <laughs> you sorry. gave you gave uh, You pulled a lot, pulled a lot of threads together, and you're a weaver. I love weaving with you. I love weaving with you. I'm sure there's more to say. But this has been a very good first conversation. That's recorded conversation. Yeah, probably. please. This is like our thousandth conversation. Thousand and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for coming to Sense Space. Even though you have been the animating spirit behind the scenes. It's kind of funny being like, I feel like I'm watching Sense Space while mm. I'm here. <laughs> so I'm also a bit like, I feel like I'm watching an episode of my favorite podcast and now I'm, now I'm in it. What is, what is left? All right.